You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Conductor Markus Stenz, mezzo-soprano Judith Forst, and tenor Brandon Jovanovich are backstage at Lyric. Just listening to it, it's hard not to get wrapped up in the music, and it's uh, it's really all-encompassing, and it's uh, it's heart-wrenching. It's a journey, this piece. For me to play somebody so relentless, she hasn't got a redeeming bone in her body. <laughs> she truly hasn't. She's horrible. And it's, it's tiring at the end to realize that this has been an hour and a half of this straight, driving, really meanness. I can just sort of almost lean back and enjoy the wealth of emotions that every character is going through. And I find there is so much positive outlook on life, so much uplifting uh, love music in this piece. It's an elegy about falling in love, this entire piece. So at the end of a Katya performance, I usually I feel transported. I've heard so much rapturous music, and I've, I've, I've heard so much awesome singing that I leave the opera house genuinely transported and uplifted. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera Chicago. We'll be playing an audio transcript of the Lyric Opera Discovery Series session for Janáček's Katya Kabanova. For those of you who may not already know about the Discovery Series, it's panel discussions featuring singers, conductors, directors, and opera experts. We do one session per opera, and they usually take place a few days prior to the opening of each production. The Discovery Series is open to the public, and it's a great way to get up close and personal with our artists. You can check out our website at lyricopera.org for dates, tickets, and complete Discovery Series information. We include all the Discovery Series sessions as part of the Backstage at Lyric podcast. Now on to the Discovery Series panel featuring Markus Stenz, Judith Forst, and Brandon Jovanovich. I'm your host for this session, and I hope you enjoy it. Good evening. I'm Roger Pines, dramaturg at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Welcome to the fourth Discovery Series session of the 2009-10 season devoted to Jana Czech's Katya Kabanova. This is in anticipation of Lyric Opera's first production of that work since 1986. Our conductor of the Katya production, Markus Stenz, is making an, an eagerly anticipated Lyric debut with this production. He'll also be conducting Mendelssohn and Mahler with the CSO next month. As music director of the city of Cologne, Maestro Stenz is principal conductor of the 150-year-old Gürtsenich Orchestra for, for both concerts and performances at the Cologne Opera, where he'll soon be leading Die Meisterzinger and the Ring Cycle. He's also embarked on a project with that orchestra to pre- perform and record the symphonies of Mahler. He's conducted at La Scala, Gleinborn, English National Opera, and the Brussels, Stuttgart, Frankfurt, and San Francisco Opera Companies. 
He's currently the Halle Orchestra's principal guest conductor and was previously principal conductor of the London Sinfonietta and artistic director and chief conductor of the Melbourne Symphony. He's been highly successful with the major orchestras of Amsterdam, Berlin, Munich, Vienna, and Zurich, as well as those of Los Angeles, Boston, Minnesota, and Dallas. Canadian mezzo-soprano Judith Forst debuted at Lyric three seasons ago as Herodias in Zalome. In Katya Kabanova, she's portraying Kabanicha, a role she's made her own at the Metropolitan Opera, La Scala, and Santa Fe Opera. Another of her specialties is Kostelnitschka in Janacek's Genufa, which she sung at the Met, and in Prague, Cincinnati, Portland, Vancouver, and Montreal. She's made a triumphant transition from lyric to dramatic mezzo, with her repertoire including Zalome in San Francisco, Dallas, Ottawa, and Vancouver, Clitemnestra in Santa Fe, Madame de Croissy in Amsterdam, and such comic characters as Madame de l'Altière in Saint-Rion, in Santa Fe, and The Witch in Hansel and Gretel at the Met. Her many world premieres include two at San Francisco Opera, Dangerous Liaisons, and A Streetcar Named Desire. Ms. Forst will be at Houston Grand Opera later this season for The Turn of the Screw and The Queen of Spades. Boris in Katya Kabanova marks American tenor Brandon Jovanovich's debut at Lyric. His current season also includes Yenufa in Munich, Carmen at the Met, and Madama Butterfly in Dallas. He spent last summer at Gleinborn, portraying the prince in Rusalka. His extraordinarily varied repertoire ranges from such works as Norma in Trieste, and Carmen in Houston and at Gleinborn, to a wide variety of 20th century operas, among them Peter Grimes in Naples, The Minds of Sulphur at Glimmerglass Opera, Die Vögel at Los Angeles Opera, Flight at Opera Theatre of St. Louis, and the world premiere of Anna Karenina in Miami. Mr. Jovanovich has won praise in standard romantic roles, such as Hoffman, Turidu, Pinkerton, Cavaradossi, and Werther, with appearances in that repertoire at La Scala, the Bregenz Festival, and the major companies of Dallas, San Francisco, Stuttgart, Nice, and Bordeaux. He received the ARIA Award in 2004 and the Richard Tucker Award in 2007. So please join me in welcoming to the Discovery Series Judith Forrest, Brandon Jovanovich, and Markus Stenz. Since we haven't done Katya Kabanova in more than 20 years, I think a synopsis is in order. In a small town in Russia, Katya Kabanova is unhappily married to the ineffectual Tihon. He is under the thumb of his implacable and judgmental mother, Kabanicha. Katya falls in love with the, Dan- with the dashing Boris... After, D- after Tichon leaves on a business trip, Kabanicha's foster daughter, Varvara, persuades Katya to meet Boris in the Kabanov's garden. Katya does so, but the resulting ecstasy leaves her guilt-ridden. When the Kabanovs seek shelter from a storm, they and other townspeople are shocked when Katya suddenly confesses her affair with Boris. Rushing away, she wanders to the banks of the Volga, where Boris finds her tormenting herself over having humiliated him and damaged her own good name. He sadly informs her that his wealthy uncle, on whom he will depend for his inheritance, is sending him away. Katya bids him farewell, then throws herself into the river. Her body is dragged out by the townspeople as Kabanicha coldly thanks them for their kindness. (laughs) Well, 
Well, for audiences, this is really a devastating piece. So let me start by asking the three of you, how does it affect you emotionally as performers? What is it like for you at the end of a Katya performance? Are you sort of wiped out by it or something different? It's a journey, this this piece. Uh, for me to, to play somebody so relentless, she hasn't got a redeeming bone in her body. <laughs> she truly hasn't. She's horrible. And uh, it's it's tiring at the end to to realize that, that this has been an hour and a half of, of this straight driving really meanness and uh, there's one little moment when we see a different side of her, a very short scene with decoy and um, I'm not going to give that too much away but but again she's not very nice then either but it's different, it's a different not very nice so, <laughs> oh, dear yeah. uh, you know it's, it's interesting because I've done so many Yanufas uh, and played the 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 heavy in that too, except that she goes on a different journey, totally different journey, and at the end she does realize what she's done. I in Katya, Kata, I do not real. I don't care what I've done. I think I've done right. <laughs> now, Brandon, I know that this is your role debut, uh, but Ken, on, on the basis of what you've rehearsed, how do you respond? to the, just the emotional element in this piece. Does it sort of, did, are you devastated at the end or something different from that? No, I'd say I'm something different. I, I, uh, my character is kind of uh, ignorant the whole, uh, he's, not, he's not really aware of the, the devastation that he's uh, sowing. And, uh, and more than, but that's, that's me as a character. I tell you, just listening to it, it's hard not to get wrapped up in, in uh in the music, and it's uh, it's really all encompassing, and it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a very very powerful. Right before I come on at the end, uh, uh, Katya is having a little uh, monologue about her life and about uh, about uh, how uh, sour things are, and 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 uh, it's uh, it's heart wrenching, and and um, oh, it's it's a it's a as a character, I wouldn't say that I'm emotionally drained, but as a performer, as somebody uh, witnessing. What's happening off stage? It, it is. It's Marcus. When you first heard the piece, how did you respond to it purely on an emotional level? I was transported by the piece. The music is, um, as opposed to my colleagues, I I um, I can just sort of almost lean back and enjoy um, the wealth of emotions that every character is going through, um, and I find there is so much. Um, positive outlook on life, so much uplifting um, uh, love music in this piece. It's an, an elegy about um, for falling in love, this, this entire piece. So at the end of a Katya performance, I usually I feel transported. Um, I'm, of course, you know, I witness the very end. I, I, can, I go along with the devastation that, that Katya feels and, and that makes her finally end up um, in the Volga. Uh, but uh, when we get to that point, uh, I've heard so much 
uh, rapturous music, and I've, I've, I've heard so much awesome singing um, that I, I leave the opera house genuinely transported and uplifted. I mean, it's silly, but uh, we also laugh a lot in the rehearsals, I have to say. <laughs> well, I think all four of us would agree that this is a breathtakingly beautiful score. I think, Marcus, the very first thing you said to me when we did our interview uh, several weeks ago was that you thought it was the most opulent score in yeah. all of Janacek. So if we agree that it's a breathtakingly beautiful score, how do we, uh, what do we say to an opera goer who's encountering Katya for the first time, making clear what that beauty is, especially if it's an opera goer who is so used to, who associates operatic beauty with Italianate line, with Bel Canto or Verdi or Puccini or something like that. Mm-hmm. How do we, what do we say to convince them that this is an equally valid beauty? Act two. Um, <laughs> it's, it was funny, you know. Last last night, I I, I was at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, concert. Uh, no, at the Symphony Hall, where the Berlin Philharmonic played their concert. And so, um, you know, backstage, you know, I, I bump into Simon Rattle. And um, so, what are you doing here? Uh, Katya. I said, Katya, act two. <laughs> Isn't, and, you know, it's, it's, it, ha- it has to be said. Um, when in, in act two, we witness two pairs of lovers. We, we, we see Katya and Boris. Um, and we also see the young lovers, Kudryash um, and Barbara. And... Um, in, in, in this garden play, um, the, the music that Janacek has found for that um, is totally unique. Um, we get a few Italian lines, Italianate lines. Uh, we get the voices teaming up. We, we, we hear the voices singing lullabies to each other. It's, it's utterly seductive. And it's done... Um, with, with, a, with an orchestra that doesn't behave like your usual Italian umtata band. Um, it's done with an orchestra that's, that's just so full of refinement. Um, it's, it's one of the very few scores where you hear the contrabassoon carrying a major bass line, you know, lift, you know carrying the whole score, um, and, and having to play with, with utter beauty, whereas the contrabassoon very often has to portray the baddie or it just come, comes in for some raw moments. Um, and the, the inventiveness of, of Janacek is totally uh, admirable. So for me, it is act two. <laughs> Do the two of you, Brandon and Judy, agree with that? Oh, yeah, but I, I'm not... A, I mean, I'm listening. <laughs> then, then, you know, it, if I'm singing, it's fast and, and hard. And when I'm off the stage is when the most beautiful things... And sometimes there's, there's one time I make an entrance, a very mean, miserable scene to come, and I have to wait and hear these bars right before I walk on. And I have to be very careful, really very careful, because I can be moved by the, that music to the wrong emotional place that isn't good for the character. That I, so I, I try to not, not really uh, buy into that, those bars so that I'm prepared to do this entrance in the miserable way that I have to. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brandon, you sing a lot of Puccini, you sing Cavaradossi, you sing a lot of Pinkertons. So how do you respond to the beauty that you encounter there versus the beauty of Boris's music? 
you know, for me, this is, it's, uh, the score reminds me of a, well, not reminds, but it's a, uh, like a lush, uh, uh, lush movie score. And lush, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, you have, I think this piece requires a lot of acting, uh, on everyone's part, on all the major characters, or pretty much everyone's part. And, um, and if you have good, good acting, the, 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 the orchestra carries you along and kind of, uh, not even kind of, it, it moves you. It's like riding a wave. It, it takes you on an emotional, emotional journey. And it uh, tells you when there's, uh, when there's problems. Uh, and, and then we're speaking on top of it, sometimes in patterns, sometimes in some beautiful lines. And it is Acts 2 that is, is most like uh, Puccini, I would say. Um, a little bit in Act 3. And um, it, it's, uh, there's some gorgeous... Where, where Puccini has a lot of melodies for the, the the singer and such, I find most of them are most of the melodies are in the the orchestra um, with Janacek, and it's a um, but there's some beautiful beautiful lines that are just uh, so meaty to sing in <laughs> Acts Two. I love he, he to sing. He quotes from Bohem. In, in in there's a little little line there where yeah. where he actually. Where is that so everybody can be anticipating? <laughs> you can't miss it. I know you all know so much about all the operas, and you'll hear it right away mm. when it happens. Mm. Yeah. Um, you have all been involved in productions of Yanufa, which is a piece that I think all of you here tonight will remember from a production that we did some eight or nine years ago. So I wanted to ask Judy and Brandon first, are there any qualities... What are the, what, I assume there are some qualities in your characters in Yanufa that your characters in Katya would share. Is there, you were talking about um, Kostelnitschka a bit before. Uh, not so much. The, the strength of purpose, perhaps, for me, between the two women. But with uh, the Kostelnitschka, she does what she does out of love. And the Kabanika does not. <laughs> not at all. They're just, they, then they share just a formidable quality about them, I um, suppose. They're strong, extremely strong women. Uh, that, that would be a, something they'd share. Now, Brandon, you sing Steva. Is, yeah. he, is he anything like Boris? Yeah, you know, in aspects of my guess, it, it, they're both, um, you know... I find a lot of the characters. I find a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the problems that occur with characters that I sing would be uh, uh, ignorance, and and I find Steva to be very ignorant of what of uh, what his consequ- the consequences of his actions. He doesn't realize um, uh, how how much he's going to hurt and pretty ultimately ruin you know for his life. He's very selfish person. But I don't find Boris to be selfish. I just find him to be um, unaware of, of what he's uh, sowing, what, what the, 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 uh, the destruction that's going to happen. Although it's, it's more uh, prevalent in the, in the play, but in the, uh, in the opera version, he um, kind of whittles it down a little bit and, uh, and Boris kind of leaves ignorant somewhat of what's about to happen. Now, Marcus, how do those two scores differ for you in, in the basic orchestral colors, the demands that they put on you? Um, Janáček, to me, is always rather tricky because um, what eventually ends up as like a stream of consciousness where, where the orchestra tells a lot of the story and a lot of the emotional undercurrent um, 
is is something that Janacic um, just invents. I've, you know, with him more than than with with many other composers, I feel there's a composer at work who is himself carried away um, with the characters and the emotions. So, if, if there is a new idea, bang, it's it's there on paper, and whether it, it is, is is beautifully. Uh, um, uh, introduced by by a great connection or not, that he doesn't worry about that. He just you know the next idea replaces the next idea replaces the next idea. Now his genius is of course that it d- never sounds patchy. There is always a way of making it work, but the, his creative process is so cha- chaotic. Um, I mean, part of the problem with with Janáček's performances for for many years um, has been that the scores were full of mistakes, and he. He just had no way of coming up with a coherent score with something that seeming, uh, seemingless flows uh, uh, together. And um, so his, his process of inventing the music is chaotic, but it's a creative chaos um, of disarming beauty. Um, as a conductor, you have to assume the role of the perfect advocate for the piece in that you help the score, you help... The, these ideas to somehow flow into each other um, and, and for the story to be told. So these aspects for both pieces, for Yenufa and Katya, are more or less the same. Um, and what also is the same is, I think, the, the disarming quality um, that Janacek's music has. Um, it's authentic. It's pure. If it wants to express a certain emotion, it does so. It does so um, almost in, uh, uninhibited, um, and 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 when we see it in the in the process of the piece, how um, Katya gets carried away with her falling in love, uh, where he where she starts liberating herself uh, from all sorts of um, uh, uh, things that hinder her from committing uh, to this new love. Um, it's just awesome to hear, and it's I'm I'm. Speechless most of the time because the music is just pure and disarming, um, going straight to the emotion. That gets me excited about seeing this piece, <laughs> let me tell you. Actually, it was my desert island opera for years and years, Katya Kavanova. Um, no, really. Um, you know, Judy and Brandon, your active repertoire includes characters who vary so wildly from each other in terms of personality. So forgetting about the Janáček roles that we've just talked about, did any of your other previous roles prepare you in any way to portray this person that you have to portray in Katya Kabanova? Well, <laughs> since I grew up, I've been doing uh, a lot of these very theatrical operas that require um, a lot more than, than bel canto singing. And uh, that makes the difference, and that's where they're all tied. If you're doing Quasi in Carmelite, you, it's, it's about, that death scene is about what is she dying of and what, what is happening. Uh, if all all those kinds of parts, so I'm very happy in in these parts. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I could say uh, any any uh, roles that help help me prepare, I guess you know, like I said, I I I, uh, I see Boris as being somewhat ignorant of what's happening. So I, I would liken him a little bit 
to um, to Pinkerton. For me, I, I find that Pinkerton is uh, he, he, he's not willfully trying to destroy someone's life. He's just um, looking to have a, a, a good time, and um, and that's kind of what I see. Boris, he's not he's not out. I don't I don't think he really considers the fact that he's having adultery. He sees a beautiful woman. He's lonely. His uh, parents, his mom is. Mom and dad recently died. His grandma died. His sister's living with relatives. He's by himself, and he sees this beautiful woman. He falls in love, and well, he he falls in lust, and and um, and he wants to have a relationship with her, and he pursues that. And so I find him similar to uh, to Pinkerton in that aspect, but I also find him similar to uh, Candide. I, I did a, a Candide in in his uh, The Innocence. The uh, the the uh, the innocence of I, I think Boris is a innocent character. I don't think that and, and it all you know ties to that he doesn't want to hurt anybody, and he's not uh, aware of what's going to happen. And when he, when it does happen, and it starts unfolding in uh, front of him. He he has no idea how to react. Uh, he starts seeing this this uh, woman that he's had a relationship and he has real feelings for literally melting before, you know, emotionally melt, have an emotional meltdown, and he doesn't know exactly what to do. Um, and so I find, uh, I find those two characters, I imagine, the closest. Interesting. The Pinkerton comparison, I think, is absolutely right on. Um, Marcus, had, how much Janacek had you done before you encountered Katya? Um, I did the Yenufa production uh, at Glanborn. Um, and also we produced Yenufa and Katya at my opera house in Cologne. Have there been other uh, pieces of Janáček that you've done in concert that well, sort of we prepared all, you? Well, know, we conductors, we love the Sinfonietta. Thirteen trumpets, ladies and gentlemen. It's rare that you can program it because you have to find the right context. You know, Something like Belshazzar's Feast or so, where you need a lot of offstage brass anyway so that you have the musicians around and it becomes some, somehow cost-efficient. Um, but, um, you know, the, the Sinfonietta, is is a piece of enormous impact, um, some 20 minutes of first-rate Janáček um, with the extra treat of glorious trumpets teaming up. Um, and, and usually I'm, um, I'm, I'm hunting for good spots where to put them because um, it, it, the dimensions of the stage are too small to cope with such sound. And usually if there is a symphony hall with some sort of balcony, you can actually start embracing the audience with that glorious brassy sound does how much of the uh, of the orchestral music has sort of echoes of katya in it <sighs> janacek is so unique because you hear a bar of janacek and you instantly know it's it's janacek but in the opera you know he he is so um inventive for his characters um that they have this common aspect of um, the authentic idea ending up in the music, raw, pure. Um, but it's always new, it's always afresh. So, um, and an absolutely unique voice. I think our audience is always curious about preparation uh, for an opera, especially when there's a novel or a play on which an opera is based. So mm. we've already encountered this, if you'll remember, with the first three operas this season. So in the case of Katya Kabanova, we have a play by Alexander Ostrovsky, the most important Russian uh, playwright before Chekhov. It's called The Storm, sometimes translate, translated as The Thunderstorm. So did any of you... Now, Brandon, I think you mentioned that you had read the play. Judy, yeah, did you sure. also, or Maestro? 
the yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all of you have read. So, how did it help? Oh, I think I, I always read anything I can get my hands on for any opera in preparation. So it 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 widens your scope. It it colors. It fills in. It it adds. But then ultimately, you have to work with what is on the page. You go back to that then. But you filled out, you know. And the, you were talking about uh, him as a composer. And the thing that amazes me is is the the use of the text mm-hmm. and the the coloring. When she when when uh, Katya is doing that section in the second scene, and she's talking about the angels and mm-hmm. and and all the coloring that that he does in the orchestra, so it's amazing. And then when when we're sending Tihon away, and you hear the bells mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. you know the horses are waiting. I tell him outside, and you hear you hear the the bells, yeah. and this is all through. It's just amazing. Well, for me, um, it was very interesting to see what choices Janacek made um, because the, the play as such is, has, has a lot of text and subtext about um, the Russian society at, uh, um, at the time and a lot of comments just you know, about society in general. Um, and so if in, in, the, in the play you would say there is a, there's a certain percentage of the love stories, such that the emotional content and the rest is the society, uh, society com- component. And um, for me it was fascinating to see how Janacek really went for the kill as far as the emotions are, uh, are concerned. Um, we ha- hardly any of those um, uh, different layers, you know, social patterns and everything, are preserved in the opera as, as we perform it. Um, yes, we do get some of the, the family background and everything, but Janacek, in, in essence, is interested in um, the elegy on falling in love. Um, and that, for me, was the, the most fascinating aspect to see. Brandon, what, did you get uh, anything really helpful from the play? Yeah, for me, uh, I, I kind of uh, I read it uh, a few weeks before I got here, and and it really flushed out some uh, a different idea of who Boris was for me. Yeah, yeah, I thought Boris, I thought from what I read, from what I saw on the page of Janacek, I, I thought it was uh, it was I thought Boris was a lot more callous than he is, and then and then after reading the play, I saw there's a scene in the first act where, where, where he laughs <laughs> when he leaves he sees uh, Katya and he says uh, he says uh, now, now off to home and, <laughs> and I uh, I thought it was a uh, I thought it was kind of a uh, uh, I thought it was a different a different sort of discovery and, and uh, but reading the play really flushed out a lot of that and also uh, her character I, I thought she was a um, I thought that she in the play, for me, I find that she's a lot more, um, uh, I don't want to say troubled, but a lot, or very, very religious. And, uh, and, it, and it's this that really is uh, brought to attention in the play. And it's, it is still plays a major role in the, in the, in the opera, but not so much as, as in the play. And so it helped me uh, in both those. She does have a great moment in her big speech in Act uh, 1, Scene 2 to Varvara. Doesn't she say that yeah. she's, she's yeah. ecstatic? when she, she recalls being ecstatic yeah. when she would go to church when she was younger. She had yeah. visions. That's right. right. That's she had right. visions yeah. always. Yeah. And she, that's... that's for me, probably what, why it doesn't surprise me that her committing adultery is so life-changing for her. 
and that's then the suicide happens because she is such a um, she's a very religious woman really mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and bef- before this all happened and then she doesn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. yeah. but then don't forget that she has a terrible she has a terrible life. I, mm-hmm. I, I abuse her verbally, mentally. Her, my son abuses her physically. Yeah. What? It's horrible. We can talk about what makes a Strauss orchestra, what makes a great Wagner orchestra. Well, Marcus, what are the qualities that make a great Janáček orchestra? Um, alertness. Um, flexibility, uh, sensu- uh, um, sensuality for sounds, um, and um, I, I think we are very lucky that the orchestra here um, displays all those colours. Uh, it's it's been it's been a fascinating process to discover the score with the orchestra. Um, I, you know, from the word go, I could tell that the orchestra knows how to breathe. That, Singers, um, you know, playing opera always requires a certain flexibility. In that, you know, if 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 a bar just needs to be extended because you know singers breathe, um, you know, the orchestra the orchestra just knows how to do it and how to you know still keep the spine and and, and everything. So that quality is there, um, and there's with the Anarchic, it's. It's challenging on so many levels. Um, there are passages in Janáček where basically you feel like you're melting. Um, and then, just like a good comedian who shouldn't laugh on stage himself or herself, but who should get the audience laughing through timing and precision, um, the orchestra in, in Janáček very often has to behave just like that. The orchestra uh, does, uh, you know, melts down. We lose the spine. If the orchestra gets it right, rhythmically, the right sound world, the right balances, the right flexibility, the audience is moved to tears. Um, and it's a very fine line of just, you know, completely submitting yourself to the music um, as opposed to um, a very controlled um, and, and but, but perfectly knowledgeable uh, rendering uh, of a certain passage. Um, and that fine line is absolutely fascinating. And in, a, on a, on a, in, in, in good moments, what happens is that um, your mind and your heart are engaged fully. And that is where a, a, the orchestra musician feels like a complete artist. And that is what makes performing Anacek very rewarding. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking about your other roles, Judy, and realizing that in when you sing Madame de Quasi in Carmelites and also when you sing Kostelnitschka, you have opportunities to sing very lyrically. Um, There's so few opportunities like that in Kabanicha's music. So in, how do you approach her music in a healthy way? When it's oh, well, the, you, I'm n- n- never going to uh, get in, do anything that's going to cause trouble. <laughs> that wouldn't be sensible. <laughs> you go as you push it as far as you can, but but always never never to the wall. And most of of this part, it's uh, being precise rhythmically. Yeah. You get the uh, 
the character by doing exactly what he put on the page. And if you follow those instructions, he's very precise. Uh, and uh, the only thing having said that is that with what he put on the page and with the text underneath, sometimes you have to shorten a note before and lengthen the next one. And that's to do with certain of the sounds. But, but he just assumed you knew how to do that. So how did you feel, and Brandon, how did you feel when you were first getting into the Czech language, which is so crucial in singing this particular composer's music? Did you find it rewarding? Did you find it frustrating? Did you find it maddening? All of the above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scary. Yep. Drew, drew a few scores across the room a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it took a lot of work, a lot of study, and a very good teacher. Yeah, a lot, a lot of work. It it really, for me, the the main thing was uh, repetition, 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 and uh, just <laughs> over and over and over again, and especially first. Uh, the first time I, I, I did a Czech piece, getting it, the, 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 getting it into your mouth, the musculature, the, the yeah, different sure. way they, 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 they move the, the sounds around uh, and, and see those chunks of consonants without a vowel, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and uh, how, why, you know. And, uh, no, it was, it, was, it was a long, uh, frustrating process, but in the end, ultimately, really rewarding. Oh, yeah. it's a wonderful... Wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, I remember reading a comment by a great Czech soprano many, many years ago. Her name was Nadezhna Kniplova, and she, she said something to the effect of that Janáček's melodies were difficult to grasp if you'd never been to Moravia, which is where he was from, and that when she would perform the Janáček operas outside of what was then Czechoslovakia, she would find herself having to sing the orchestral parts for the instrumentalists because they just didn't get it. So, Marcus, is, it, is, is the idiom of Janáček that difficult for, it, for orchestras to grasp? Hmm. I'm a bit puzzled by that comment because I think... The, the Janáček's music is is so um, authentic and so written with with the right with the heart at the right place that it's 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 utterly universal. Uh, I I am absolutely convinced that the the, the Czech language um, is the trigger for Janáček to the mute uh, to uh, for the music to sound the way it does sound. Um, but just think of it this way. It's a glorious opportunity of introducing rhythm and blues into uh, classical opera. Because, um, you, know, the, the, you know, you mentioned this, you know, the, the bending notes or bending uh, um, uh, accents or just the stretching note um, is, is, is something that makes music so absolutely fascinating. So if you've got one part of the orchestra going the spine, you know, your rhythm, and, and then this, the vocal line, you know, with the check. Uh, text and you know the, all the uh, um, all the deviation from from a proper rhythm um, is is absolutely fascinating and mesmerizing. Uh, I, I th- you know I think there is a lot of pride that any Czech performer will take in the fact that Janáček is a Czech composer who has come up with the most glorious music. Um, but the music is there for the rest of the world to be enjoyed as well. 
I want to get into some specifics of character for a moment. Judy, do we know anything about Kabanicha's life? I mean, how, anything about her husband or how she raised Tichon? What do we know of her? Well, we have to take it from what we what we see in in these scenes, and and she's got him managed. He's afraid of her. He's to the point that he's an alcoholic, and uh, that's the way she handles everything. She is in charge. She runs the business. She tells him where to go. How high to jump, when to jump. In your whatever backstory you have for her, do you ever think about where this judgmental side, this authoritarian side of her might have come from? I think she is that way. We know sometimes you run into people that their way is the right way and the only way. And they expect everybody to... And she's also, you know, in 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 the community... Of a, she has money, and she expects to to be respected, and she is right. She the way she dresses, the, everything about her is uh, the she's she's head. She's the boss, and she won't uh, listen to what anybody else has to say. It, she is really the most formidable mother-in-law in the entire operatic repertoire. I think. <laughs> Um, I can't think. I can't. We we were actually trying um, in the marketing and PR department at one point to think of all the mothers-in-law in opera, and is there anybody who can compare to who this woman? Her. Yeah. No, I try not to be like that in life. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> As for Boris, why is he in this small town? What brought him to live with his uncle? So ultimately, his his uh, grandma used to live in in this small town, and uh, and his uncle still lives there. But but um, the the his his father was from this small town, and he married a noble person, and uh, and she despised the town, and they ended up, and she didn't. I, I imagine she didn't get along well with the if if the if my grandmother, Boris's grandmother, was anything like the uncle, man, I could see why they wanted to leave. So they left, they went to um, <laughs> they went to uh, Moscow, and he was born, born and raised in Moscow, and, um, and then they sent him and, and his sister off to school, and it was at that time that the two parents died of cholera. And, um, and at the time, you know, they, they, they didn't have there was no money left, they didn't have anything, no one could send them, or keep them in school, so they were going to go to the grandmother's and and she passed away also, and um, and so he was left going to live with the uncle to get his part of the inheritance, and the uncle is a um, is a kind of a, a female I mean a male version, uh, 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 and they're they're uh, two 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 formidable uh, uh, people in this town. Except and that he owes money to me too. <laughs> no. <okay. laughs> I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. And uh, and uh, and so he's he has to be there, and he has to get his uh, share of the inheritance to uh, help his sister out in life. And he and he mentions he said I'd leave if I didn't have my sister to to take care of, uh, you know, because the sister's with the mom's side of the family now. But uh, so he's pretty much required to be there until he turns of age 
to get this inheritance. Why do you think he is unable to take Katya with him when he leaves the town at the end of the opera? I, I think that, I think that he sees a, uh, and, and I, I think this is open to interpretation as far as I'm concerned. I think he sees her mind is cracked. I mean, she's, she's, she's out there. And, um, and I think that he probably, I think she, he would take her personally. I, I think he would take her if she was slightly more insistent. Um, but she says, she says, let me come with you. And, uh, and there's a little bit of a, a little bit of reaction I, I, on my part. She goes, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to ruin, you know, I wouldn't want to ruin your life, whatever. And, um, and he says uh, immediately, he goes, well, I'm free as a bird. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, this, and this is where the difference between uh, what, what was uh, in the play and, and what uh, Janacek has. It's, a, it's slightly different. But I think that he would take her, but uh, he, sees, he sees that she's gone over the deep end. Yeah. One of the great highlights in this opera is the beginning of Act One, Scene Two. Um, Katya is alone with Varvara, who is Kabanicha's foster daughter, and just reveals so much of herself. I mean, in virtually every line of it's it's basically an extended monologue, but with little interruptions from Varvara. So there's something significant, really, in every line. So I wanted to ask you, Marcus, how does Janacek's orchestra? illuminate this scene which I find so extraordinary in so many ways. Well it's an extraordinary scene because Katya when you say it's a monologue that, that's um, it, it uh, would uh, imply something like she knows what she's talking about. She isn't. She is getting carried away. It's a stream of consciousness and you know one idea leads to the next. One thought leads to the next. And she doesn't know in which corner she will end up, what she will actually tell Varvara. And that is fascinating to see. Um, so, you know, she starts off saying, oh, you know, we used to have such happy days in childhood. Um, and so you hear a perfectly innocent orchestra. And then in Getting Carried Away, she says, you know, how religious she is and, and how she heard the angels in church. And of course, Sure enough, you hear the angels at church in the orchestra. Um, and, or, you know, the start, for example, um, when, when she says, you know, I wish all people could fly. And, of course, what we've heard in the orchestra from the word go of that scene is high-register fiddles who basically do nothing but fly. Um, and, you know, it's in, in that aspect, Janacek just takes us always into not just um, the words but also the sound world of her next thought. Um, and then she, start, she ends up talking about the dark forces, you know, the forces that are in, in all of us, the, the, the forces of lust, the forces of being, you know, of, of some demons talking through us. Um, and again, you know, uh, you, you, you get low-register instruments all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, creating the sound world that corresponds with that. Um, so it's it's striking how um, how Janacek just uh, he he finds the perfect companion sound to any of those novel thoughts that even Katya doesn't know she's going to visit next. There are two passages 
um, that were added in 1928, and those are instrumental interludes so that two scenes in Act One and two scenes in Act Two can be connected. Now, what about those? Um, how does he use them as bridges between the scenes? Um, they were added for all good reasons. Uh, basically, they help us um, perform the the whole piece um, uh, with with with, um, uh, with no major gaps between the scenes. So they are, in a way, a practical choice. Uh, and in, and I think in an ideal world, one could imagine um, the Katya to to be performed just as like a one act opera. Um, and uh, you know that that would be absolutely mesmerizing. And uh, um, the um, the music that he has found for that um, is, uh, in the instance of Act One, um, a very edgy music. You can see how the plot thickens. You can see how um, there's a lot of stings, um, and you can see that you know things will at some point end up in a steam cooker and it'll burst. Um, and in Act Two, the music is setting up uh, the garden scene, as it were. And so we get a lot of uh, a country feel to the music, a lot of nature, a lot of um, dance. Um, and I think, you know, both intermezzi, um, despite the fact that they were not composed as part of the opera as such, um, do what they do very, very well in preparing the audience for the next highlight. It seems to me that the story of Katya Kabanova will always be relevant since we're always going to have dysfunctional families in the world and we're always going to have people falling in love with the wrong people. So imagine the Katya story happening today. Do you think that whatever societal changes we've had would cause a different outcome? I think it's happening all the time today, this story. If you, if you, it can be in the city, you get the, the situations where a woman is in, in a bad relationship where she's abused and doesn't know how to get out of it. And it, it can be in, the, in, the, in a smaller town you know, you see it all. You see it all the time. It's in the news all the time. All do you these th- things. Do you think that th- w- whatever emancipation of women has developed over the last century or more would perhaps cause a contemporary Katya behave to behave a little differently from the way Katya in the opera behaves, considering the progress that women have made? There, there might be more more likely that she she gets a divorce. You know, there might be. You know, one day she walks in and says, "Sorry, Tisho, I'm out of here." You know, yeah, but, but you're, then but you're assuming she's stronger well, that's, than th- she is. That's exactly. You it. know, and I don't think her mental makeup is such that that, that she would be any different. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are feel tethered to uh, to their their religious beliefs to such an uh, you know extent that they don't get divorced for fear of. Uh, retribution in the afterlife, or uh, and uh, and yeah, so I think there's probably probably a good number of people that are in her position today. Yeah. We're doing a production at Lyric that originated at the Metropolitan Opera, which Judy, I believe you've performed. Um, originally directed by Jonathan Miller, so I certainly didn't want the hour to go by without talking a bit about the production and what the three of you feel its greatest strengths are in the way it presents the piece? 
for, for me, I, I'm not familiar with, with uh, I'm not familiar with another production of Katya. I've never seen Katya before, and uh, I've yet to see this one. You know, so, so I, I, you know, I'm kind of at a loss. But um, from what from what I can tell, it seems to me that that he is a uh, that that Jonathan Miller has kind of got the idea of similar similar to to um, to uh, um, what Janacek did with the with this play. He whittled away what what wasn't needed. And he really um, concentrated on on um, on the emotional impact of the piece, and and I, I would kind of I, I think that that's maybe what Jonathan had in mind. Jonathan Miller. He, it seems to me that he has. Um, there's not a lot of extraneous um, action or or um, a lot of frivolity in, in in the set or anything. It's it's very focused and honed in on the characters that are on stage, and um, and. Let's you and lets the characters, lets each of us really uh, um, in 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 providing such a um, uh, focused f- focused scenes to let us uh, really expand our characters in a very yeah very unique way. Judy, how does this production compare to the ones that you've done in Santa Fe and at La Scala? Very different, but. All of them wanted uh, relationships. All these different directors, it's mostly about talking to each other. And not, uh, it's not about, and Jonathan Miller, I, I had the fortune to, to watch him. I was one time at the Met that I was covering this part and doing some. So and he was there, and so I heard what he had to say, and he wanted it s- simplified. He did not want gestures, meaningless gestures, nothing like that. He would rather you stood absolutely still and listened. And uh, very, uh, and then I did it with a Jonathan Kent, who is a theater director, and he had the same approach. And uh, Robert Carson, another a Canadian colleague who uh, did a very different production, but again the, the intention was who you were speaking to and when you were listening to what the other people said. Now that production you're walking on water all the time. Now that was something else. Yeah, there's planks that dancers were in the water and rearranged constantly for each scene. And, of course, as the run went on, sometimes they got them in the wrong place, which I ended up walking through the water one night. But, but it was very different, very... It was, but, but exceptionally beautiful. Wow. And she died... You, uh, you, she was right in the water in front of you. Wow. Yeah. Marcus, what was your Cologne Katia Cabanova like? Well, fascinating. It, we, in Cologne, we put on the Robert Carson production. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one you did at La Scala mm-hmm. uh, ended up, um, you know, so we had the similar planks and the mm-hmm. similar Volga, and it's amazing to see a whole stage transformed like a pool mm-hmm. that's kind of knee-deep or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was fa- fascinating to see. However, the production here... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, is utterly musical. Uh, 
It's a no-nonsense production. There's no clutter. You see the real people on stage. And just like I was saying how the music of Janacek is pure and it, you get the, 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 the meaning of the emotion um, is what you will see on stage. And that is why the production, I think, is an absolute masterpiece. Um, just like the music it is disarming, you see these people um, on stage and, and you, you re in every single scene you just want to know uh, okay, what's going to happen next? And you can always feel from 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 your wonderful work um, what the, the the people on stage are going through. It's gripping. It's 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 an incredible uh, process. And 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 to, to to see it come together here is is a is is a very rewarding um, experience. Now, when Lyric did Yanufa, we actually performed it without an intermission. Now, Katya is quite a bit shorter. Then Yanufa, we're doing it with one intermission between uh, Act Two and Act Three, which is something I believe that Janáček himself wanted. Well, is this an opera that you actually would like at some point to do without an intermission? Yes, yes, I, I could see this being uh, enormously fulfilling. Uh, however, we know that Janáček did like uh, the version of Act One and Two being be becoming one unit, and then after a little hiatus, Act Three with the the culmination of it all. Um, so it's, that's, that's a comforting thought. But in an, yeah, it, I, I could imagine it to be very fulfilling to hear it just like one story unfolding in front of your eyes. And Judy and Brandon, you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see, I could yeah. see that, definitely. Emotionally, you don't stop it. Yeah. You yeah. just keep going. Yeah. yeah, I've done Yanufa without intermission, and, and I like that. It's hard on me. I bet. It's very hard <laughs> oh, on yeah. me. Oh, yeah. But I still would would prefer it that way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious with all of you, how you find audiences respond to these pieces, Yanufa and Katya Kabanova. Are there particular responses from the audience that you remember particularly well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I generally get lots of booze. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> And I had I've had here some of the supers come up to me when I've been waiting to to go and they look at me and they say I won't use the language they use but they say you really are one <laughs> <laughs> I won't say what they said but, you know but it's then you've done you've done what he asked you to do uh, because she isn't flowery this one at all. <laughs> Brandon, how did people respond to you when you did Yanufa in Munich? You know, they, they uh, I, 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 I don't think, for me, I, I think it just um, was a, a sense of, uh, I don't re recall them responding any certain way. It's um, more than anything, when I talk to people afterwards, it's they're a little surprised at how powerful Yanufa was. Um, I wish I could say more about uh, Katya, but I, I haven't had that experience yet. So, I, but the Yenufa, I know that they, they find that it's, I don't think they were expecting it to be as moving as, as, as I think it is. I mean, that's just part of Janacek. I mean, it's just incredible the, 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 the way he can grab a hold of you and, and, and if you allow yourself to really be transported and, uh, and, and, and moved, wrecked. Mar Marcus, what do you remember of your audiences in, uh, 
in Cologne well, and at Kleinborn. I was just thinking, I find it particularly apt that we here are in a discovery hour. And a lot of people who discover Janacek for the first time, uh, we always go and buy the next ticket for the next Janacek opera because it is, it is just something um, of, of a life-changing experience um, in, the, in, the, in, in the respect that um, you hear one Janacek opera and you really want to, want to know more about the composer or, no, you want to hear the other pieces. You want to be uh, gripped by his way of storytelling. Um, and identifying with his characters on stage. Um, so to the Janacek first-timers, it's always, um, you know, the, the, the sense of awe, you know, all of a sudden uh, I know a composer and I've come across an opera that is just different from any other opera, but, gee, it's wonderful. And, and for the people who have fallen in love with, with Janacek and his music anyway, um, they find that confirmed and buy yet the next ticket. Is there any Czech repertoire that you're just... New Czech repertoire for you that you are just chomping at the bit to perform? Moriana Czech for me. (laughs) Mm. I'd like to to discover... uh, There's a... um, What's the song cycle? The, the Diary the, of One Who yeah. Vanished. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was supposed to. It was, yeah. I'd like, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, take a, a bite out of that. But also, there's uh, some Martinu. Is uh, I've heard some wonderful things about, and uh, and I'd like to look into that too. Well, I, there's one I'd like to do, but I never will because it's for a soprano. <laughs> I'd love to do Macrobolus, but oh, yeah. but of course I never. Yeah. That's not. That's a soprano part. I was thinking of, I think you would make a phenomenal Yeji Baba in Rusalka. Oh, in Dvorak. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we've come to the end of the hour, and I hope that we covered any questions that all of you might have had, but I urge you to, uh, I assume that all of you who are here tonight have tickets for Katya Kabanova, and I hope you will suggest it to all of your friends, and I hope you will also come back multiple times because it's such an extraordinarily stimulating evening in the uh, Opera House that I think it repays repeated listenings and viewings. So I want to thank this wonderful panel so much. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.